Um, and she says, Echo, you know, dim lights, living room lights. And it turns off the TV. <laughs> and she turns and looks at me. She goes, really? Really? This is my life now? <laughs> like, I, I have no idea why that happened. Well, the TV's a light. That counts. <laughs> You're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 111. I'm Eric Van Johnson. Here with me this lovely night is my always energetic and spunky co-host, John Pankton. Hello. Spunky. And the master of doom and gloom. The guy who lurks in the dark. The person you try to keep your children away from. Tom Rideout. Hey. (laughs) Good intros there. That's... I don't know why I put so much effort into the intro where all I get in response is, hey. <laughs> well, I mean, right before that, you did tell people to keep their children away from me, which is. You know, we have to have a hard, heart to heart discussion here tonight, I'm afraid. We started to have the discussion off air, but seeing the subject matter of the discussion I felt all the appropriate to have on air <laughs> Thomas Wrightout broke a golden rule of podcasting All right, the, the editor in chief of PHP Ugly just to what be did clear I, what did I do I, I, don't, hey. I don't think I'd call him the chief of PHP Ugly by the way your, your microphone sounds off just, to, just saying what did I do that's better it still sounds off no, it still sounds off. Is it? Are you talking through your microphone? Yeah. Yes. It, oh, okay. When he moved it, it sounded better. He sounded like in a, he was in a tin can before that. What did I do wrong? You took content that was not in the show that we we recorded. I think it was before the show began, it, and you put it in the show. It was. It was directly after we hit record. My fault. Yeah. We we were recording. I should know better, but I wasn't expecting it to be taken that way. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have been. Thomas, Thomas while we did were call it out the next next week. He said, "Did you like the intro?" I'm like, I thought it was kind of funny, sure, but I I realized that actually we that wasn't part of the actual show, so yeah, that seemed inappropriate. And then I found out you hurt John's feelings. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. It was fine. I was just like, I thought the the intro was always something from the show taken out of context, so that when you listen to show the show, it's then in context and it's funny that way. Nope. Yep. No. Nope. Nope. I, I, nope. I, one, one, one case, people will never know why John was actually masturbating. <laughs> it was. Well, I mean, I think the why is self-explanatory. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't to solve a complex problem. <laughs> Oh no, I, I I dug through the whole show. Now, now that's part just, of just that's part of the show. So that's going to be that. taken out now. Put at the beginning again. No, no. <laughs> why was John masturbating? Today we explore the many reasons why John masturbates. You're going to have to say something funnier later on in the show. Then uh, not going to happen. There you go. We just set that bar a little higher. Funny. What we do? We set bars high. Oh my goodness! Can we move on to something more fun? I have a question. I I, I, masturbating was pretty fun. I, I do have a question outside of that. Um, okay. So, this past weekend was Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to 
all the fathers out there, even though this is going to oh, be out, yeah. even though it's going to be out like two weeks after Father's Day, the way our release cycle kind of works. Yeah. I participated in a poker tournament. Uh, it was a small, it was eight guys, all dads, right, that were there. And before the tournament started, we agreed we we're going to pay out three places, $40, $80, and then the winner takes the rest. Wouldn't you know, we get down to the end, I win the tournament, and the person who comes in second counts out the money, and there's 320 left. And he goes, 220? And I don't know the guy well enough, <laughs> so I don't call him out and say, like, no, you're only supposed to get 80. Oh, no, it was three, it was 200, 140, because I gave away 60 bucks. For any IRS agents listening yeah, yeah, today, yeah. make sure you write all those numbers down correctly. Please, please do. I, I don't want to pay taxes on 60 bucks I didn't get. <laughs> Did I do the right thing? I mean, it's $60. It's not a large sum of money, but should I have said no? We all agreed you only get 80 <laughs> Again, I think we're touching on the topic of dude rules, and that would be a dude rule. Okay, well, no. It's called bro code. <laughs> okay, bro code. Or I'm sure there's some more politically non-gender related code version of that. But yes, I I agree. I mean, you know, pots were decided. Yeah, I'm not, there, I think you're absolutely right. There, there were a couple of weird scenarios. I think he was late, so he may not have heard the initial discussion of it. But at the end, we definitely said it again. But it, of course, he may not have heard it. I don't know. So later on, the host, the the guy i know comes up and he's like oh congratulations and he was talking to me about it and he's like so how much did you get i was like well that's a funny story i kind of tell him what had happened and somebody else that had witnessed it was standing right there and concurred with what i said and he's like do you want me to say something meanwhile this guy's been drinking all day so i know he's drunk (laughs) and i'm like no i don't want to cause a scene (laughs) it's not that big of a deal it's it's just funny so he's like all right then i'm not going to say anything i'm like okay fine Ten minutes. Were you were you wearing were you wearing your jacket at the time, John? That says, "I really don't care." Uh, I, I wear that on my face all the time. <laughs> I really don't care. So, all right. Ten minutes later, me and the family were leaving, and he comes up to me. He goes, "Hey, just so you know, I said something. I went up and I said, oh, how'd you do?'" And the guy said, "I I came in a second. He goes, "Oh, so you got eighty bucks?" The host says to him, "He goes, oh no, we split it differently." He said something, but didn't like follow it up. <laughs> He could have. He's like, oh, no, yeah, you're supposed to get eight. What you're, what you're describing is just anxiety <laughs> for me. It's just funny. It's like what one you, of the reasons do I mean? don't get into the poker stuff in the first place. Oh. Yeah. Where it's, if if, if someone is like, hey, these are the rules, I'm just like, oh, yeah, great. Good, like, I know good. you won, Tomless, but I'm just going to take your pot. We're okay with that, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. it's like high school all over again. <laughs> All right, let's get into some more PHP stuff then. You want to do that? Well, you mentioned you mentioned getting taxed on sixty dollars that you didn't make. Are we starting doom, into... doom and gloom already? No, no. This is just interesting. Okay. Um, is that the uh, Supreme Court did side with, I believe, Wisconsin on internet sales being required to collect state taxes? Hmm. Uh, so don't be surprised if stuff that you didn't pay taxes on before online all of a sudden starts getting taxes added to it. 
I thought that's been going on for years. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I think I think my Amazon started getting tax. My Amazon orders started getting tax. I don't re- remember that happening before. That's been going on for a while though. They started once they put warehouses in California, they were charging tax on it. Yeah, that was all physical location based. Now it's no longer physical location based. Hmm. Which just, it's just it's, sales in America have to collect taxes. Yeah. It shocked me that it hasn't happened before this. I mean, New York, I think, was trying to do it, what, seven, eight years ago? Where they were saying, you sell something into our, to people living in New York, you have to pay sales tax on those items? I, I think the, the strong separation between state and federal governments is what allowed people to just say, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Because there, there was no repercussion that could be put in place. Hmm. But yeah, it, it has always been weird to me that the stuff was tax free for <clears throat> so long. I mean, yeah, we're looking at almost twenty years since I first bought something online. Well, hmm. wait for your back tax bill. Uh, the <laughs> one thing that was stated in this ruling was that back taxes did not count. Uh, that you would not have to pay back taxes. Yeah, that makes sense. How are they going to really enforce that? Yeah, and another interesting thing is people. Most people don't know this, but you're supposed to declare out-of-state purchases on your mm-hmm. uh, tax forms and pay for taxes when you pay the IRS. Supposed to. Nobody ever does, though. Yeah, no, I've, I've never met anybody who actually does that. And when I when I did have a professional tax preparer, they did not even bother asking me if I'd bought anything online. No, nah, of course not. So I got, I got a fun story if you guys want to listen to it. It is PHP-related. Absolutely. As everyone probably knows, the project I mainly work on, when I first started on it, was PHP 4. And this was just, what, five or six years ago? And we got them up to PHP 5, eventually 5.6, and made a monumental leap this past week, actually last night, of moving from MySQL functions to MySQLi. Oh, nice. You finally got that done. Finally got it done. We, we released that code... It was probably a few few months ago, and while it worked, it stopped working, or it caused problems in our workers. And I think it, be, it was because of using this really old uh, data objects package. It was actually making two connections to the database, one for db.php and one for this data objects package. Huge pain in the ass. Figured that out. Released the code last night, and I still had issues. There's something I missed. But luckily, we fought through it and didn't have to revert the, the code, which was nice. So, getting one step closer to getting the PHP 7 there. Super excited. Now, you know, 7.3 7. just hit Alpha 2. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think I've tested the code base. After this PR that was merged last night, I've tested on 7.2, and it was working. seemed to be working fine. Again, we really don't know until we get it deployed and everyone hitting every single page. Because I think we're at like 30% test coverage right now. Still so much to do. I got another funny story. Ready for this one? Another funny story? Are you implying you've already told one funny story? No. I meant I have another another story. I'm just going to keep rambling because you guys aren't stopping me. That's Eric's bit. Yeah. I love New Relic. (laughs) Eric loves New Relic, too. He, he's just not saying it right I now. Do. Uh, I just can't afford it. Yeah. 
so we're using it on this project and there's this, been this one page that has been the bane of my existence now for a month if not more showing as being one of the worst performing pages on the site always taken o over a second to to render and i can't tell you i think i've opened three or four pull requests trying to refactor this piece of code because it does so many sql queries finally dig down deep enough to find out there was a sleep one in the code <laughs> why is this taking over a second oh because we're sleeping for a second somewhere in it oh man that's i'm under attack i saw that i'm under attack kitty 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 Ugh. My goodness. So, yeah. So, I talk about my cats. You guys just roll your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Your, your cat's not that cute. Look at it. Yeah, I know. Look at this thing. So, yeah. Don't put sleep one in your code. It, it makes for a terrible web experience. Don't step on my keyboard. Don't step on my keyboard. Go ahead. It's, it's part of my new code workflow. I'm, I'm just getting a bunch of kittens and it's going to make them walk on the keyboard and see what it, if they're developing anything good. Has anyone noticed that Eric's code has really improved in the last couple of weeks? <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. It's just... Bye, kitty. That's a really nice pint glass you have there. That's my SDPHP featured mug uh, by the Diego Dev sponsor group. You can't be in here and making a bunch of noise. I'm trying to create art. <laughs> Oh, or bring your such a pussy. Or bring the art completely to a stop. Either way. Uh, oh man. Oh my goodness. All right. So, so since we were talking about wave PHP, who's uh who's what speakers are you guys looking forward to hearing? We Marcus. we have it. I'm swear to God, you're driving me nuts, Mister. All right. What speakers are you looking forward to? Marcus Moore. Marcus Moore. There's going to be speakers. So I was, Why are there speakers there? I was, I was actually very excited to be the coming out party for uh, T.J. Miller. I thought we were going to be his first uh, official conference that he speaks at. Turns out we're not. He's speaking at Lyricon earlier. What is that? This month? Is this? Is it July or June? No. Anyways, he's speaking at he's speaking at Laracon, so we're not going to be his his uh, we're not going to be his first. But yes, we will be Marcus Moore's first. I am I am actually very excited about Marcus Moore. I I've put a lot of pressure on him to get a particular project done for his uh, his talk. So I hope I don't break break the poor fellow. He's uh, <laughs> he's a nice guy. But I've been noticing his temper has been getting shorter and shorter lately. So I think stop might... pushing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when he says pushing, he means physically pushing him. Yeah. Uh, Tim Lytle, but... he he uh, is a great speaker too. So he's doing a training session, and c congrats to him today. As of the day we're recording this, he has a brand new baby girl, born oh! born today. You know this? Yeah. Some new babies. Ben Edmonds. I'm looking forward to seeing him talk. I've been following him for some time now, so I'm really looking forward to actually seeing him talk in person. A lot of man, we got we got some good speakers, man. I mean, just best Tucker literally Long. a a to T. 
<laughs> Adam Cole to TJ Miller. Yeah. Uh, and everybody in We have a San Diego native. Oh, native. I don't know if he is native, but he lives here in San Diego. Jesse Decker. He's sp- spoken at SDPHP a few times. Excellent presenter. Love watching his yeah, his definitely. talks. Yeah. I just saw Jessica speak at uh, Longhorn, so I'm really excited to have her talking. Um, So anyway, we have a lot of great speakers, so you need to get your tickets now to Wave PHP. Are you guys hearing this, Cat? Yep. Oh, yeah. For sure. You're driving me nuts. You're you're just, you're so inconsiderate. You're so inconsiderate. Says says a person talking to the cat. Breaking the flow. Your mic's messed up again. Here's a question for you. Why is the early bird stuff still there? That's a good question, John. Because it's still early? Good question, John. We're just we, we're we, just we, under we, 90 we days. Schedule. What? We are three months. Three? 89 days out. <laughs> I know. That's what I said. Three months. Uh, we, we've expanded our cast to to smokes. Hey, look. It, it does... <laughs> Did you just say and now smokes? He's, just, he's literally on the microphone now. <laughs> Did you just say smokes? This is God. Don't put your face in my mouth. I don't. I'm sorry, guys. What's the cat's name? This is so inappropriate. Smokes. Smoke. Smokes. Actually, he's he's Smokey. Oh, that was in his sister's bandit. That was so they're Smokey and the bandit. That, that was my cat's name, Smokey. I miss that. Oh yeah. I miss that cat. Yeah. So this one's Smoke and his sister who run who's probably be joining us here shortly they, they're usually not too far apart from each other for too long this is this is yeah, great great the... conversation but my favorite thing about for a podcast yeah my favorite thing about my cat Smokey was i could play fetch with him he'd, he'd fetch. yeah he'd jump up in our bed in the morning and we'd throw balls out and he'd go fetch it and bring it back to us it was awesome way better than any dog i had you hear that you, hear that? you need to you need to learn a trick and that's not interrupting my podcast Yes. Oh so anyway, gosh. it looks like on the website we have the the blind or the early bird ending July thirty first, which I think is completely inappropriate. You know, we're only in June, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm right. on I'm on board. That seems crazy. <laughs> well, you better get them before Eric makes me change it. How about that? <laughs> when are we releasing the schedule? I don't. Know, you. I thought you had it ready. When is it going live? You you tell me to push it live. I, I got do the it now. Ready to go. No, I think do it now. I think we're missing one person's headshot, right? Not we're missing two people's headshots oh, actually. Yeah, Amanda Folson, if you're listening, been t- been tweeting at you. You haven't uh, sent me your headshot yet. And then we got uh, Marcus. Uh, we're waiting on Mark's updated headshot. Not Marcus, Mark. Mark, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is this is <laughs> There's a uh, there's a new RFC out for PHP that I really like. Oh yeah, what is that? Uh, typed properties 2.0. Uh, you know how you know how when you set a a private variable in a class, you have to create getters and setters for it. Mm-hmm. Well, this sort of goes the Visual Basic route and auto generates getters and setters. For any declared variables in your class, but what if you don't want them to be gotten or set? Then, 
then you would have to set them as private. I thought that's what you just said. If they were private. Or I'm sorry, protected. So with protected, they will not have getters and setters, but private will? I believe so. I guess I really need to look at this RFC. Because you're not making any sense, Mr. Thomas. What RFC is it? So, uh, Typed Properties V2. RFC... Get a ticket for it. Let's see a ticket. Oh uh, crap! And here come. See, I told you, she's never too far from her brother. It is literally just RFC typed properties V two. Yeah. There's no number to it. Google it. You'll find it. So I, I really like this. This reminds me of my days in Visual Basic. What is that? Visual Basic did the same kind of thing, where if you declared a variable, it would generate the setters and getters for you. Hmm. I I find it nice. It helps clean things up and keep things, you know, consistent. I got a question for you guys. John, John knows we kind of had this conversation, but um, do you still see val- validity in using constants, especially when you're using like a framework? Yes, I use lots of constants. Man, that just seems so old school to me. And I I told the developer who was working on it, I'm like, I honestly don't have a, a better solution, but it just seems so antiquated for some reason. I, I don't know why in my head I have a problem with it. I mean, even looking at it, the code even looks ugly. I, it's like, I, agree, with, I, don't... I agree with you, but when it comes to integers for your type IDs, if, you're, if, you don't have it, if you don't have it set to enum in your database, it is super handy to have throughout Which the Which you code. shouldn't. Enums are bad. And then when you're using the same string multiple times, it prevents you from coding the wrong string. If you're using a an IDE, it's going to autocomplete your constant. You're not going to screw up that string. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a valid point. I agree. I use it for my model statuses and things like that. That's exactly, actually, one of the things we were look, looking to use it for was a status, uh, a status on the model. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know, it just looks... It looks like poor coding. Like now, when I look at it, you know the framework looks so. When we code in in, in Laravel, this is a Laravel app. The code looks so clean, so eloquent, and then you have these constants at the top of a model. It's like, oh, that, what is that? Looks horrible. But it makes the rest of the code outside of that so much nicer to read. I'm yeah. I know what I'm putting there. And especially when you're dealing with integers, strings might be a different story, but how many times have you mistyped a string or you've like fat fingered it? You won't do that with yeah. a with a constant. And Thomas, you said enums are evil. I, I have a reason I don't like enums. Why do you say enums are evil? Uh because they require modification of the table structure to add a new value. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Which is pointless and dumb. Well, it's not pointless. If you need a new value, there's a point to it. But yes, it, it's risky, and yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm, I, I have steered away from using enums in my in my code. Something else I've gotten kind of well. Let me complete this thought, and then I'll move to another thought. Well, this Something could else take forever. <laughs> I've gotten very sloppy at doing, and then I find myself questioning the validity of it. Uh, 
we may have touched on this in the previous show, but I, I keep coming back to foreign key restraints and whether or not they it actually buys you anything. Well, I guess I guess it buy. I mean, it definitely buys you buys you something. It, it puts the burden of that data integrity on the database, mm-hmm. which I, I get that. But I don't know. I, I, I have been lazy at at defining foreign key restraints in my database architecture. And I gotta be I, I can't say that I've missed it, but I can't say that I've hit an application big enough where it's bit me in the ass yet either. It, it is super um, it's super convenient for me when I'm going through a database, especially through something like SQL Pro where because of the referential integrity, you can click on an ID and it takes you straight to that table on the, the specific row. That is nice. It, yeah. And the cascading deletes. I know that the big thing with Laravel is soft deletes and you don't really get the data out of there, but cascading deletes, when you don't have it, is such a pain in the ass, especially when you have lots of tables. Making sure your entire database gets cleaned up by deleting one row is really nice mm-hmm. to have. Right, let's I, I, talk about that for a quick second. Again, ahead, though, again, though, I think in a company where you have a person whose position is DBA, then it's a different story because you don't want the developers to be able to screw up your database. So there's an accountability thing that goes into that as well. Right. So, you, so you're saying foreign key restraints would be more common in, in well, an organization that has a dedicated DBA. In in my code, in my code base, mm-hmm. I don't have a DBA, so I can mess up the code. I can mess up my values. I can really screw things up. Um, in in a code base where you have a DBA, mm-hmm. their job is to make sure that an exception is thrown if you try to mess something up. Mm-hmm. And your job as a programmer becomes to catch those exceptions instead of to catch exceptions earlier on mm-hmm. when you would normally do your data validation. Um, so I, I see a lot of this database technology goes back to really older tech where people worked in teams of 50 and 60 and they had a DBA and a junior DBA and you couldn't just add a column by creating a migration. You just, you weren't allowed to touch the da- database. Everything had so to what, go through. So what's your personal opinion on it then? I, I think just in general practice for what you do. I think that the way that we work as PHP developers, we have to go fast. And doing things the way we do them makes development faster. Um, Managing your foreign keys that requires a different set of tools, it requires a different mindset, and it's something that I see slows us down when we try to do it. No, no. But why is this slowing you down? As you're creating the table, you know that you're storing a user ID in this table and you just put in a foreign key to the user table, how is that slowing you down? You don't necessarily have the same amount of time to think everything all the way through. I mean, in that, in a simple example like that, yeah. But in more complex examples where features like uh, stored procedures are being used and things like that, or when cascading deletes, uh, the DBA has all the time in the world to figure out if something is the correct way of doing it or not. Yeah. Whereas we do it in between coding. So so you're saying as a general practice, maybe you you don't use foreign key restraints that often? No, I don't use them at all. 
You don't use them at all. Wow, yeah. that's I'm surprised to hear that. I hmm. I use them. I have I have the in the time. past. And you and John uses them all the time. Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about um, cascading delete since that was brought up because that's another topic that's come up recently on the project we're working on. Um, I made the decision to implement soft deletes on models because although a user may delete something, there may be a requirement for the company uh, that this platform is being built for to still have access to that data. So we're kind of implementing soft deletes. And again, this is another practice that I've kind of gotten into where I'm sort of a data hoarder. It's like I I would really rather not delete data. Uh, what are your opinions on that? Do you guys are you guys still comfortable with just flat out deleting data, or if you have the option to do a soft delete, would you rather go that route? I would prefer a soft delete. In the the application I work on, though, the the problem is they're kind of doing that already. It's not through an actual soft delete. They're setting flags on on contacts to kind of say it's deleted, but it's really not. But then you... So, so same principle as a soft right, delete. Right, same principle as a soft delete. And then when their contact database ends up with, you know, millions of contacts and they're trying to do searching, it does present a problem. It does slow things down. Oh, you see, Eloquent, Eloquent for Laravel, Eloquent handles that. So Eloquent will treat a soft delete as a deleted mm, record. Yeah, but it, Not but it, necessarily. But MySQL still has to if search through the records. They're still there. Yeah, the record is still there, and it's taking up physical disk space. And Yeah, I, I'm not too worried about disk space. Not, well, no, it's not, not space, but it's the, the location on the disk that gets taken up. And the MySQL means speed. that the, the disk head, yeah, the disk head still has to move past a blank record now instead of repurposing that partition data. It, hmm. If you have a million soft-deleted records and one good record, you're going to have to go through a million and one records to find that one record. Yeah. Um, if it's well-indexed, it's it might be a little bit different, but even then, it's still a lot of data to process or to deal with. Yeah. I would say in the last three years of doing Laravel, maybe four, I've used soft deletes constantly. I've never implemented a tool to easily unsoft delete something, and I've never had to go into the system and manually unsoft delete something. Never? Really? It's, I mean, well, yeah, it's pretty easy to do. Sure, but it's not something I've ever had to do. You've never had. No one has ever called me up and said I accidentally deleted this. But hmm. but on some of those things, you have tools for the user to be able to re-retrieve that data. I don't. Huh. Interesting. I don't. Hmm. All the stuff that I have soft deletes on, we don't tell people that there are soft deletes there. Right. 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 So they, as would far have... as they're concerned, they're deleted. Yeah. Right. And to me. Delete is delete. You shouldn't tell people that they're deleting something, but they can get it back because then that creates an expectation of being able to do that all the time. But I, I had to do that recently. Yeah. I, again, I deal in a contact manager, so people have millions of contacts spread across different folders, and we implemented a delete all contacts feature because sometimes people just want to start over. And no matter how many alerts I put in place, like 
are you sure you want to delete this? This cannot be undone. People would still do it and then freak out. Luckily, we weren't really deleting it, so I was able to get that data back, and I ended up putting in a feature. So you lied. It can be undone. Right. And I ended up putting in a feature where once you do it, I then show, because your now your contact manager is blank, there's now a message saying, hey, you just deleted all your contacts. Do you want them back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so now so now there's a, a link to undo what they just did even though i've tried to warn them up front you can't do this so I, I think in a critical situation like that where a user was deleting stuff that we knew they probably didn't want to delete i would move it to a an archive system um my sequel mm. has my sequel has archive style tables mm. for longer term storage that are slow read and I, I just I wouldn't keep the table, my my most important table, full of junk. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that moving. I, I've seen that practice in the past of moving data from one table to another table, kind of that same premise of hey, this is this is legacy data, this is archive data. I'm just not a fan of it. I mean, I might be more of a fan of it now that I'm using UUIDs, but still, it just seems. I am clumsy. huge. I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah. Data data that's older than three months is never going to be used for me. Mm. If I mean, I collect a lot of tracking data and click through stuff. And if it's three months old, why do I still have it in my priority tables? Why is this Why is this table got ten million records because I've been storing it for five years now? So it's totally. So you have to write your to report code to look at two tables now. No, you you when you do reports, you generate static reports. But so how does that work if I, my, if, I, if I'm in there just kind of clicking around like, oh, I wonder what happened between this time and that time last year. Yeah, then you have to generate a a big data repository that has summary details. I've I've done really big reports in the past over millions and millions of records. Um mm-hmm. And the way we ended up having to do it was generating summary data that took bulk information, gave it a timestamp, and locked it down for a period of time, and said, this is what, if you look for January 1st, this is what that data was for January 1st. Um, And you have to have ways of handling that where you've got a record for what one hour is, what one week is what a day is what a month is and we generated all of that in bulk so we would take 10,000 records and shrink it down to seven records per day and then a month would have 20 records hmm. so you would you would have to build off know, that, of that that seems really difficult to manage well these reports would take three days to generate yeah as long as you have the the it well thought out it's not that big of a deal to to do that until until somebody comes and says oh well i want it in a different time frame that you didn't account for up front with your summaries or i want to add a column i want to add a field yeah no this this reporting project was probably six months of development time Hmm. Um, because the company thrived off of analytics so that was what we wanted to see Hmm. but but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really, I had a table with 10 million records that they needed fast reports on, and how do you just do that? 
Can we go back to your uh, RFC for type properties real quick? It's yeah. it's not implementing getters and setters for you. This whole the whole thing is just about having uh, an optional type. So there's nothing about automatically generating those, which is awesome. I love that. You should definitely write an RFC for it. If it's if it's public, no big deal. It's already getters and setters because there are no functions. If it's protected, it's one. If it's private, it's the other. That's awesome. But this whole thing is just having a an optional like question mark float. It should be a float, but maybe not. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I liked what you had said. I was like super excited about that, but that's not the way this one's working. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is just statically typing properties. Mm-hmm. It, it's going back to guess... making, letting string int float be used. So, anyway, sorry to rain on Very your parade. Great. I want to go back to databases. I've got another. I got another practice for you guys. I know. I know where John stands on this. And John, feel free to reiterate some of the conversations we've had. Curious where um, the other guy. What's his name? George. Right out. George. Thomas. Tom. My name's Tommy. Tom. Tommy. I'm, I'm a coder. Um, I have never actually used this on my own in the past. I've worked in other code bases that have implemented it, but I have never been coding something and said, hey, I need to add uh, a database uh, transaction here to track this mm. this uh, code, or to, to track this uh, SQL uh, insert or whatever. So I've never used, I, I've never just implemented database transactions but it's come up a couple times on this project that I'm working on. We do have a developer who is pretty passionate about using it. it makes a lot of sense. And, it, and Laravel makes it super simple to implement. It's one of those things where I'm like, I, I don't really have a good excuse for not using these because it, it couldn't be easier to implement. Um, thoughts and opinions on database transactions. Good, bad. The goods, the bads. Do you, you know, where do you guys uh, stand on these? You're not coming through, Thomas. I was say, is somebody talking? Because I'm not hearing anybody he, he's, right He's now. been having microphone troubles the whole time you were talking. It's been super, yeah. super staticky, super... Well, I know it's something you use, John. I mean, uh, is there any? Is, was there anything that, that made you decide, hey, I need to start using database uh, transactions? Or? Yeah, I use transactions for two or three different purposes one i use them constantly in unit tests because my tests do hit the database so okay can i pa can i pause you right sure. there so w when you're using a database transaction in a unit unit test is my understanding that you're actually touching like a production database you run through that transaction you just don't do the final commit Correct. and you you like dump out of it well not on production but yes so even in my dev database I'm creating records. Really? Yeah, I'm creating records. I'm creating users, creating uh, contacts and folders for the to test those parts of my code, and then the last step is a rollback. So, create it all, run my test, roll it back, and it's just my constant dance, just to make sure. So I I, I use it for bulk data, um, 
transactions have a, a neat feature in MySQL, which is that the index doesn't get written until you commit it. Yeah. I, I, so, actually, I haven't thought about that, but I've done it for that reason, too. Insert a couple thousand so, records, so commit. It just makes it makes inserting a little bit faster when you're doing a, a big bulk import. Well, depending on your keys, if you have a, a poorly keyed table or a lot of foreign keys, it can save a lot of time. So foreign keys slow down uh, databases. Any any keys do. Yeah. The, each What's each it? key you add adds a little bit of time to your query, or not query your inserts. All right, I want to rewind back to the testing though. Mm-hmm. So when you use uh, database transactions the way you're saying for testing, mm-hmm. even though you don't commit the data to the database, you're a- you're able to in the test run other tests like, hey, did this contact get written to the database and it will give you the correct feedback? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. As, so with a caveat. I've had in the same connection, right? The same connection. I've had that problem before, where I again going back to the this old crappy uh, package that we use. There's DB and then DB data object, and they were using two different connections. I had to make sure it was using the exact same connection. Uh, so, same connection, transaction works fine, and that's what I was talking about last week, where you have that transaction history uh, in New Relic. Every time you st- actually, maybe I didn't do it on the show, but you start a transaction. There's this new thing on in graphs that'll show you this. It's capturing a history for that connection, and I've had performance issues where that's grown too much, and then as soon as that transaction stops, performance goes back to being fine. So there is a cost to doing hmm. it, to having transactions run. So th- there, there are other benefits than the obvious ones of you have an issue with your SQL, it, it will dump out without having committed any data to a table. Right. If you, if you fail some sort of uh, foreign key integrity, um, hmm. you could not commit. I use it for locking single rows. So if, I'm, if I don't mm-hmm. want something else to update it before I have a chance to. Now, I say that, and I was under the misconception that it was also a read lock, and it's not. So if I, had two, if I had two processes, one that gets a lock on that row, then the second process reads that row, first process writes and, and unlocks it, that second process will still have old data. The previous data. Yeah. I was, that, that has to be a pretty edged case, though, huh? Not for me, because I'm, oh. I'm doing a lot of... Ra- I, I deal with a lot of race conditions, and it's a pain in the ass to figure out. So... Hmm. What I used to do in the past was lock the whole table, which is no good either because I'm stopping a lot of other transactions and I could not find a way to do a read lock on a per row level. So now I'm doing it via memcache. It's new. That's a new feature. Well, I say new, but it's not really. That's a 5.6, I believe, feature of MySQL. Really? I've looked. I didn't see a a, a read lock on a a row. How how would a read lock lock behave though i mean like it just waits it just wouldn't show you the data it just waits so yeah, it's to, to it wait waits. until unlock yeah so oh, process number two exactly. just yeah it, it is but if you if you're really having trouble with if you really have race conditions it's super beneficial yeah i guess i could see that so now thomas you have me wanting yeah, to so... go look at look that up 
this is a it's a feature of the InnoDB table type. Um, I believe the default for MySQL used to be MyISAM. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you use InnoDB, then you can call a record lock on a row. But a read lock? Yeah, you should be a full lock. Huh. I'm gonna have to look into that because I could have sworn I just looked for this in the past couple of weeks, and I could not find a way to to implement a read lock. There is exclusive lock. Yeah, uh, you're right. What am I? Sh- how did it, I miss it, it this? Does, it does say a shared lock permits the transaction that holds the lock to read a row. Hmm. Uh, I'll have to look at it some more because I, I was looking specifically for a read lock where nothing else could read it until I was finished with it. So, cool. Now, if if this is your old system, it's very likely that your database is my ISAM and not in ODB. No, no, all my tables are in ODB. <clears throat> Don't be silly. Come on, Thomas. <laughs> I may have I may have coded in PHP four, but no. Nah. No, uh, it's definitely in ODB. You don't get uh, referential integrity or foreign keys in my ISAM. That's. I thought you still got foreign keys. I don't think so. I think that's an in ODB. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Because one of those an in ODB feature that I liked. Hmm. I could, I'm probably wrong. You're definitely my go-to when it comes to database stuff. Sounds like it should be me. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Don't know about that there. Have you guys ever worked with a architecture decision record? Have you guys ever made an architecture decision record? What the hell is that? that (laughs) Are you making words up? I had never I had never heard of it before either, and I keep referring to this Greenfield application we're working on, and it keeps coming back to me. Why did we decide to do this? Who who made this decision? You know why are we doing this? And one of our developers, Wave PHP speaker Marcus Moore, came to me and said, "Hey man, I, I you know I know I I'm always asking you this question, and I know others are asking these questions on why we've decided to go a certain direction with our architecture." I found this template and it's called an architecture decision record template and basically that's all that that's all it is is it's a it's these templates that you put together that as you make these architectural decisions on a project you capture those decisions why they're made who made them and, and that sort of thing i thought it was a nice idea um the reality of it is it's more it's more documentation that nobody feels like doing, but I've been thinking about implementing this and just curious if you guys have ever, maybe not known it by this name, but have, have you ever implemented a similar documentation of when an architectural decision is made, it has to be, that information has to be recorded somewhere. Yeah. I, I put a square around it on the whiteboard and below it, I put do not erase. (laughs) No. I've not done that. Uh, cool. Oh, you know I actually used to do. I used to take pictures of the whiteboard. Oh, I I do this today. And then I just had it on my phone, filed away forever. Oh uh, no! I usually add it to Evernote 
and Evernote does the little o- OCR or what's it OSR? OCR. 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 Does OCR on it? Um, but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's. I we walked into a meeting. Uh, was it this week? Uh, no, maybe it was last week. We walked into a meeting with a client recently, and he had already done an entire whiteboard uh, where he's he's, at, you know, drew out everything about this application that he wanted, and it was just a matter of taking a picture, adding a couple of personal notes, and that was it. Huh. So I love whiteboarding. As a matter of fact, a few years back, John and I had bought for the entire team um, these smart pens that, uh, as you write in the notebook, it's, it's these special special notebooks, and as you write in them, it creates a digital copy of what you're writing that that uploads. Yeah, that, was, it, it, that was Christmas two years ago. Oh yeah, you got one of those, right? No, I didn't. Yeah, the Neopens. No, that's everyone right. Everyone else yeah. got one but me because I was leaving for it, Colorado. It, yeah, that's. <laughs> and I still have my. I mean, mine sits here by my desk. But uh, recently, Carolyn, one of our developers, who's a pretty avid uh, iPad user, showed me. You know that she she has an iPad and um, one of the iPad pens, and Pen- she, pencil. she. Oh, okay. Can't screw iPad up their pencils, branding. Yeah. And uh, she was taking, she was, you know, basically doing the same thing on her on her iPad. And I bought an iPad a few years back, bought the pen with it, and found the pen to be pretty useless at the time because none of the apps really seemed to work well with it. But it turns out the Notes app now works really well with it. And I, I've pretty much abandoned the, the notebook. As much as I like the notebook, and I like having the physical notes written, the issue I would have is that I would be writing notes and I it wouldn't do the digital translation. So I would get back, the digital translation wouldn't be there. It'd be like two or three pages of notes. And then I have to say, okay, well, what do I want to do here? You know, do I want to rewrite these notes? Do I want to take a picture of it? And with the, uh, with the iPad, you know, you see it as it's happening and you can add pictures and you can, you can break out of the pencil mode and physically type notes as well. So I've been using my iPad a lot more for note taking and liking it, but oh, you're gonna make me get a yeah, you're gonna uh, make me get a pen now. You, pencil, it's a pencil, nope, it's, and it's you, a pen. you, you should have gotten a pencil. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely it's should get one. But um, but yeah, back to the architecture decision record. I don't know, maybe it's overkill, but as somebody who's been on the end of having to repeat myself and almost feel like I have to redefine defend my decisions over and over again it is appealing to say go to this document this is why we're doing it you know if you have any conflict with it let me know but you know i don't want to have to explain every time somebody has a question and to everybody's defense i'm the same way i'll sit there and say why did i decide to use this why why am i doing it this way and so, you know, occasionally I would probably use it as well. Well, I, I've worked for three companies that had an internal wiki. And, and I can very easily say that I have never, ever used it. And neither has anyone else. Really? We, we use ours pretty regularly. 
I've I've had three that I was the only tech person or one of the one of two tech people, and the wiki was for everyone else and it never got used. Uh, okay, that's the difference. We so for the project I work on, it's all stored in Git. So we're using the Git wiki. They used other systems in the past, which was a pain in the ass, but people still reference it. But for the the wiki and Git, we we're storing things like coding standards, how to get a development environment up and running using Docker, uh, where certain things are located. So it's all tech related, not meant for other people. It's funny you bring this one up because this is actually another topic we just talked about. Um. <laughs> for, for me, comments are overkill. My my wife, my poor wife, is in the bedroom messaging me that she has a spider and she's definitely afraid of spiders and and uh, she's trying to get me to come in. I'm like, okay, do you need me to come in now or can I wait because we're about done recording? And she goes, well, I've lost it, so I'm getting dressed and leaving. <laughs> Okay, uh, but the the documentation was another topic that came up this week where we have documentation in a few spots. Um, we've been trying to use the GitHub Wiki because I like the idea of the documentation being within uh, the within GitHub. Um, and we, we've, we've had some success with that. Uh, we have an internal uh, system that we used called Teamworks. And a few uh, developers have taken and put in documentation in there. And again, it's a good justification for it. Um, but the issue I have with the Teamworks approach is that our client doesn't have access to it. Um, so I feel like there's there, there might be like a little disconnect there. And then, again, once again, Marcus Moore, who seems to be on the cutting edge of, the, of these things... Uh, reached out to me he says you know it'd be cool he's like it'd be cool if we could use uh view press and make the documentations part of part of the actual repo not the wiki but the repo that the code lives in and just because everything's in markdown teamworks uh, the github wiki everything's in markdown uh view press is the same way it's markdown so we just take that markdown and translate it over to view press and I thought about it this morning. It was actually my little side project this morning. I'm like, man, that would be really nice if I could do that. So I started hacking it out. And it turns out it wasn't much of a hack. Uh, ViewPress has a workflow that allows you to install ViewPress in an existing application. I leveraged that, got ViewPress installed, literally copied the MD5 from the uh, wiki, put it in ViewPress. It shows up perfectly. And not only that, but we have the added benefit, which I shouldn't say added benefit because there is some search capability both in Teamwork and the Wiki, but we have ViewPress search and uh, a few other features. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm leaning towards actually giving that a go where it's the, the documentations in the repo itself, which I've seen in the past. I've done in the past. I mean, it seems like a reasonable approach. And then you can track changes as you make them. But can't you do um, that through like the GitHub Wiki as well? You can. Um, I, th I, you know, the biggest thing with the GitHub Wiki, uh, you know, like there, there are, 
the argument we came up with today is if the documentation was part of the actual repo, then we can make it a requirement as part of a pull request. Where somebody does a pull request, we can say we're not we're not accepting this pull request until you add documentation yeah, for it. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can still do it with the wiki, but but you're kind of policing it yourself. Right. Like say, okay, you know, it, here it is. It's a the disconnect wiki. at that point. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good example or a really good argument for keeping it in the repo. Um, so I don't know. We might be doing that. I, I'm still working through a few of the. A few of the caveats of having having it in, in ViewPress. It, it's basically basically me me just learning ViewPress, like how how that actually works. But it was fun because just as a test, I, I saw one of the ways you could publish ViewPress. I mean, you can publish ViewPress through Git Pages, or you can do it on Firebase because Firebase has a uh, hosting uh, service. And I mean, it was pretty drop dead simple. It, it add. I don't. You don't even add an API key. You just add the the definition, the the project ID, and it publishes uh, to Firebase. So I don't know. Pretty pretty interesting approach. Uh, I'll let you guys know how it goes if we actually implement it. Awesome. I'd like to hear about that. Do you guys? Do you guys use Laravel Horizon? Negative. Negative Ghost Rider. Uh, for people that don't know, Laravel Horizon is a a queue manager manages workers and queued jobs and things like that and i had tried a while back to run it as a a standalone project apart from uh, the other five projects that i have and found that it's the client and the server so as the client it has to run the jobs and as the server it monitors the workers and tracks the jobs right um, you can't configure the routes for it. Well, actually, before you get into that, the Horizon does a lot of cool things like giving you an interface to your jobs. It lets you replay jobs, right? Uh, you can see the, the completion rate, how fast jobs are processing, average time it takes. Alert, alerts on slow jobs. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. It, uh, it's very, It's got a very broad feature set, but my problem is that you install it as a package on top of your existing project mm -hmm. and it wants to be the client and the server. So it wants to host the admin components on slash horizon and you can't tell it not to. You'd have to you have to edit the vendor file for that or you have to fork the package. But I mean it, isn't isn't it because it's horizon though, aren't you able to make it its own separate project because all it needs to do is be able to point to the queue. Because the client has to be able to re-instantiate uh, oh, the job objects. Oh, good point. So yeah, all yeah. of the job objects and all of their references have to be in the Horizon project as well. Mm -hmm. And this is Laravel Horizon, right? Yeah, this is Laravel Horizon, and it's been brought up in the, the bug tracking or the issue tracker in GitHub and the response is just like no nah, it's basically a done project we're done with horizon <laughs> um it doesn't look like the code has been changed in about seven months this was just last year he just re this is the one this yes. is the big announcement he released in yes in new york and it looks like 
Taylor's not even the one working on it. It looks like one of his employees is the one who's responding to the issue tracker saying, now we're not really doing anything anymore with it anymore. So like hosting it on a specific domain, because in my project, I have an admin domain and a public domain Mm -hmm. in the same project. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, that's pretty common. Right. But the configuration for Horizon is to host it on any domain that it matches. Hmm. And it's there's you just have to fork the project to change that, which is super annoying. Um, yeah, Horizon's great. It's very it's a very very cool tool. It's just like two thirds finished, and it's it's very frustrating because it could are you really. Feel, are you feeling like it's abandonware or or what? It does I mean, I... feel. Uh, I I believe there have been uh, minor version updates just bug yeah, fixes I mean, I, and I stuff see the like readme, that. Readme was updated a month ago, but some, something in resources was updated. Where's the, when's the last when's these commits? You, you seem right, though. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot. Going I mean, Taylor, Taylor's still the one. Oh, it's Taylor in in the um, Laravel employee number one. The, um, I forget his real name, and I can't pronounce his handle. But, um, no, they're, they're still... Doing well, I guess they're doing the merges. Maybe they're not actually doing the commits. Uh, Robin Vandervluten. Like... Who's that? Is he? He's he's the one actually doing the development. I believe that's that's one of the employee number one. No, it's no no no. It's the guy in Egypt. Uh, Lars Jansen. Jansen. I don't know. I don't know. His his handle is Dimset or. Uh, I, I forget. I forget how you pronounce his uh, his handle. If it's them said or another variation of that, but I mean they're they're doing commits. I mean I see commits from June twenty first, April twenty fifth. It does look like they're only committing about once a month. Not to mention it, right? And there's ninety four open issues, which no, is a lot. No that's a request. lot. No pull requests. A lot of open issues. I might I might have to try and send a pull request on this one or something because it, it just it bums me out because it it was a huge announcement at Laracon it was teased for like three months on Twitter mm-hmm. and it's basically abandoned at this point except for minor tweaks and fixes but there's so much functionality missing running it as Horizon client Horizon server you know this. It has the capability of managing jobs on 10 different projects if it wanted to. Mm-hmm. But you can't because it runs client-server on the same mm. project. There you go, uh, man. Fork it. Fork it. Do your own thing. Yeah, so uh, I've, I, I ended up doing test implementations of this stuff, and I, I had to go into the kernel component of... Laravel to do security on it, the security side stuff, and realize that my kernel has gotten quite beefy. Like my my all my middleware, my app service provider, view composers, just I'm starting to get w- worried about bloat. <laughs> what? Sorry, John, you laughing at me? No, I was coughing. I was trying not to, but it didn't work. Um, do you guys do you guys worry about bloat in your projects? Yeah, especially not using Laravel 
it seems like a ton gets put into the bootstrap functionality that we have. And it's like, we got to stop this. We're doing, I mean, not every request needs a database connection yet. That's where it lives. So every, every request gets one, whether it needs it or not. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just. Thomas, I don't tell you. I, I'm getting into the, you know, we talked last week about SPA applications and splitting SPA applications up into two projects, the API and the front end. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting more and more inclined to break everything up into components to, to really, really split <laughs> things up into separate pieces. Well, that that might be overkill, but but I keep I keep revisiting that whole separate front end, separate back end approach, and I keep coming up with good use cases for doing it. Um, yeah, the other one I came up, I I might have mentioned it on the show, but it seems to keep resurfacing of the idea of a front end actually talking to multiple back ends. When you're using something like Vue.js. The fact that it's talking to a Laravel application for 90% of its functionality, but maybe for 10% of its functionality, it needs to ping another service, maybe a Node app, a developer built, or you know some other service. I don't know. Um, maybe something they wrote in Python. By having that separate uh, API, uh, by having that separate front end. Uh, Sure, you can you can still do it even if it was all still in the same repo. Nobody's saying you couldn't, but it seems logically it just seems that that, that separation of duties seems cleaner when it, they're in separate repos. Of okay, here's the front end, here's ninety percent of the back end, here's that little piece that we use for the back end that's Python, here's that little piece we use in the back end that's Node. I I really like that idea, um, you know. I don't know. It's the more I get into view, the more I see validity in the front end being its own repo. But again, that's not what we're doing. Um, not that it would be that hard to switch it up to to break it out, but I I don't know. I see I see a lot of benefits to breaking up the repos like that. Well, an- another issue too is that um, Laravel uses the output buffering. So anything that you echo out or return doesn't actually get sent to the browser until you've fully executed the program, until it's stopped running. Mm-hmm. Um, and splitting up the front end and the back end means that you can very, very quickly render the front end and then start filling it with data. Yeah, but I mean, but again, you you can do that even if it was all in the same repo. Well, you couldn't <clears> because <throat> even if it's in the same repo, if you had it split up into front end and back end components, it mm-hmm. still won't output the front end component until the kernel and the bootstrap components have finished executing. Mm, I don't think that's right. If you if you have a view, it, yeah, because you're not you're using view in your front end. Yeah, you're, because you're not going Good you're job. not going through Laravel to get to those components. Right. I suppose so. Yeah, if you if you stored them in the public folder, right? Then yeah. Well, it's not it's not even storing them in the public folder, but well, yeah, it's, it's the same principle if, though. If they're stored as views, then they have to go through Laravel. Correct. Mm-mm. So you'd have no, to store them. As, I don't think that's correct. Oh yeah. No, you're saying view as, as, blade, as, as blade, blade templates. Blade templates. Yes. 
Yes, blade templates would go, but, but that would happen in, what the back we're end, doing, in the front end code base too, though. Right. What we're doing is, I mean, essentially, if you're using blade templates, then you can't separate your repos. What we're doing is we're using Vue.js as our front end. It's essentially a spa, and everything's being rendered through Vue. All the back static end. HTML. Uh, in in the view piece, I mean, there's some static, there's some view stuff components. No, but I mean, but the, it, the the code itself is static. It's not dynamically generated. Right. For the front end. So you no. would want it. Yeah, for the what, front what end. You, yes. It, it's just yes, .html that's... files. Well, no, they're view files, but yeah, it's all JavaScript. It, it the, the, yeah. it's all in the view the the view components. That you that you're you you don't through. really have HTML files except for your index at that point. It just and that bootstraps your view JavaScript library and your initial components to to get the the initial app up and running, and then the rest is you know built from there. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it's it's pretty, and, and that's as far as my understanding is that's the case whether it's part of the same repo or, or, or separate so I don't think you, you really lose anything there no but I think I think I like the idea of separate better because it makes sure that you can't depend on something you shouldn't be depending on well and, and again I, I like I like it from the practice of you can have your JavaScript view developers not mucking around or potentially mucking around with Laravel code and vice versa, your Laravel developers not mucking around with view code. Which is a problem I, I actually have. I actually have, I've had problems where front-end developers do enough to be dangerous and crashed whole mm-hmm. systems. Alright, well we're running long again, and I know I know Thomas is not going to... I love editing. Long podcast. <laughs> One more quick question, John, yep. for you specifically. I recently bought the Google Wi-Fi system for my house mm-hmm. based on John's recommendation of, yeah, no, it just, it works. It hasn't broken yet. <laughs> um, I, I was having issues reaching Wi-Fi to certain parts of my house, and the, the Google solution allows you to buy, like, these three nodes uh, that one access the Wi-Fi route and the others are repeaters or uh, the APs. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, I don't it's know if a, they're technically it's, repeaters. It's a mesh system. It's a mesh network, yeah. So that has helped out tremendously. I, I was able to spread it out in my house, and now Isn't it like three hundred dollars though. Uh, I don't think it was three hundred. It's cheap per unit, but yes, if you buy three, it's basically the cost of two of them, and you get a third one free. I don't I don't remember the exact price off the top of my head, but. It seemed worth it to me. I mean, I, I always bought fairly expensive Wi-Fi routers because I I always felt like I had a fairly high demand on what I wanted out of a Wi-Fi router. Um, and this one really meets that, that need to expand my network. But I just received an email, and John, you have never mentioned this, so I don't know if I need to disable something or not. But I just received an email from my Wi-Fi router that says, hey, your internet connection is fantastic, Based on the seven speed tests I've run so yeah. far, yeah, that's part of that's part of Google Wi-Fi. That's the app on your phone uh, that you that you installed. So it's making sure yeah. it's constantly making sure that you have good internet speed. Lets you know when there's problems. That's pretty cool. I don't like that at all. 
Huh? Why not? It's using your it's bandwidth. bandwidth. Yeah, your bandwidth, and it's. But it's not. Co- it's not. It's not constantly running. It runs it like once a day. But I think I turn mine off. I don't even think it's once a day. If it's only run seven, I, I've had it hooked up for about two weeks. So I thought it was cool. I was like, "Hey, that's that's nice to know. Thanks for thanks for letting me know that Wi-Fi." Yeah. Didn't you also? Didn't you also get a Fire TV box? Oh, I thought I was going to escape this conversation. God. I should have ended the damn show. No, you tweeted I... it too, and it's just like, it's like you tweet, "Abuse me, please abuse me." I. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I, I got the uh, the the new Alexa Fire TV. I had vowed for a long time not to get a Fire TV. I don't agree with Amazon's practices on the Fire TV, which is basically they block out all the Google stuff, and now Google won't let YouTube be on it. So it's it's this little pity war that's going back and forth. I, I just never cared to participate in it, but it was an Alexa. And, uh, yeah, I got in today. You, as a Prime user, and I think as an Alexa user, we, we got, like, an early buy of this thing. And it so was, I like, bought only, it, like, only $150? No, it's only 80, uh, like, 80 or 90 bucks, I forget. It, it, was at a, it was at a pretty big discount. So I got it. I actually had my hopes up a little higher for it. Now that I have it, it's like, all right, it, it wasn't as cool as I thought it was going to be. And as a matter of fact... Right before the show started, my wife. Um, so I, I had the anticipation of it being able to control my cable box and, and change channels and do things like that because I had a old Sony Google TV that did that. Uh, it it had a uh, IR blaster that it would control your cable box. It it would control a few things. So I thought this was going to be the same thing, and I was very hopeful when it came in and it had an IR blaster. I'm like, oh, it has an IR blaster. This is what it's going to do. I, I'll be able to control my cable, this and that. It's not that. And all it does is it lets you turn the TV on, turn the TV off, and change the volume. And then everything else it does, like you say, hey, uh, you know, play HBO or, or watch HBO. It has to be HBO app uh, on Fire TV. It doesn't See, doesn't into your cable. You just you just keep paying money to to buy into these closed networks, these closed devices. That well, I, I you can't I'm already do what bought into. I'm already bought into Alexa, and my other justification is I put I put this in the living room with the TV and the nice Alexa that I had in the living room. I brought into our office, so I have a nice Alexa in here now with a nice speaker that keeps and that keeps the showing the blue ring every time you say the a word. I keep hearing the, yeah. I keep hearing the dong. Yeah. She's keeping the cats entertained. Um but what was funny is uh right before the show started, uh my wife's going to bed and she tells it to she's in the living room and she tells it to dim the lights. Um and she says echo, you know, dim lights, living room lights and it turns off the TV. <laughs> and she turns and looks at me, she goes, Really? Really, this is my life now. <laughs> I have no idea why that happened. Well, the TV's a light. That counts. So, speaking... Produces more light than a lot of other stuff. Well, all right, before we end the show, while we're still talking about this, this week, my youngest, he's almost two years old, started trying to... I mean, he's been doing it for a few weeks now, trying to talk to the Echo devices. And it's so funny to watch him 
try to say the word and then say stop. And he sees me, I'll, I'll say it, and if I'm too far away, I'll cut my hands over my mouth, trying to focus, like, and so he does it but by putting his hands over his mouth, <laughs> like, he, <laughs> and I, but the other day, I watch him, he's trying so hard to get it to happen, and uh, the Echo device will start the blue ring, because it recognizes the keyword, but doesn't understand stop, I break out my phone, I'm videotaping him, as he gets us to stop the music. I was like, no! Because <laughs> 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 that's the problem with the older one now. You start listening to music, and he's like, I don't want to listen to music. And he stops it. And he's getting so tall now, he goes over and just pushes the buttons. I was like, just leave it alone. I ended up having to move it out of the living room one day. Like, you touch it again, I'm taking it away. <laughs> oh, fun. Kids are fun. Yeah, that's not the word I was thinking, but... When do you see your kids again? I'm assuming, is the divorce final yet, or...? Uh, no, my, they're, they're actually starting to break down and, and really get homesick and miss me, so... Uh, I see them again in... I see one of them again in, what, nine days <laughs> or something? back in stages. <laughs> yeah. The two, the two uh, bratty ones are staying for an extra, like, three weeks or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty nice. Pretty nice, except for it's, you complaining I, that you're missing them and don't like being home alone. You haven't done that this week, have I? <laughs> I got over the hump. I'm, I'm now reacclimated to... Yeah, I'm reacclimated to single life. I'm, I'm buying video games I want. I'm leaving beer out on the counter it's it's been pleasant <laughs> we'll make sure the wife doesn't hear this one. Oh no she knows 100 percent. she calls me to tell me that she's jealous <laughs> all right we're over an hour and 20 minutes into this thing right. 20 more minutes to go we're setting a new record you've been listening to up, <laughs> you've been listening to php ugly i'm john congdon thanks for listening I'm Eric Van Johnson. Appreciate you being here. Wave PHP, September 19th, 21st. Be there. And I'm Tom Rideout. Our government is a fraud. <laughs> Keep it ugly. Keep it Keep ugly. It ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.